Welcome to the Shields Outdoors podcast, your source for information on hunting, fishing, and all of your outdoor passions. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Shields Outdoors podcast. In this segment, we're going to be going to night two of the Shields virtual fish series with Tony and Kim Ferry as they discuss fly fishing tips and tricks. Here's our recording of night two of the Shields virtual fish series. Good evening, everyone. Welcome tonight to night number two. We're going to be talking fly fishing. My name is Ben Fleischer. I'll be your host for this evening. I help out with all the Shields Outfitter and Shields products here at Shields. That's a lot of Shields I just said. Uh, very excited to be here. We definitely got a, uh, a fun group tonight with um, got Tony and Kim Ferry. Uh, we're going to be talking some fly fishing. We got some props up here. We got some dry flies, poppers, and streamers. They're uh, actually in the hunt right now, chasing big tarpon down south in Florida. We're excited to get them brought, bring, or brought up on here. Um, kind of how the night's going to go. We're going to be doing the same thing as we've done before. We're going to have questions and answers going through. Uh, we've already got some questions coming in, so we're excited about that. Thank you for the audience for you guys got a lot of questions coming already. Uh, so please make sure you're submitting them. Make sure you're going to shields.com slash fish series to get registered for the prize package. We have two prize winners tonight. We got a $500 and a $1,000 winner. I will announce those at the end of the evening. And uh, without further ado, I bet we bring up the... Uh, the people of the hour, Tony and Kim. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Hello, thanks for the introduction, Ben. Um, yeah, the, I'm Tony. This is Kim. Um, <laughs> we uh, reside uh, just outside of Madison, Wisconsin, uh, a little town called Black Earth, which uh, happens to just coincidentally have a uh, Blue Ribbon Spring Creek running through it in uh, close conjunction to the Wisconsin River, uh, which is a hell of a smallmouth factory. Um, we started our business called Dry Fly Sales uh, back 10 years ago. And uh, both Kim and I were living in Montana, chasing trout, um, doing that thing. And we moved to the Midwest. Now, I actually grew up in Wisconsin, so I kind of knew what I was getting into, but Kim hadn't. I grew up in Montana, so had no idea about the Midwest. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, lo and behold, we started figuring out that, oh, my goodness, you can catch bluegill and muskie and smallmouth bass on fly rods. And, uh, you know, mind, you know, blowing experience. And, uh, yeah, we've devoted ourselves to the craft and trying to push the envelope forward that there's so – Fly fishing is an awesome sport, and it's a life sport that people can do from the age of 10 to, you know, if you're fortunate enough to be able to walk around a river and be 100, you could do it. Um, therefore, like, it was just something that we both felt, you know, was a great career path. We both loved doing it, and, you know, somehow we've managed to uh, piece together a job that allows us some time to fish, Um uh, and we get to work together. There you yeah. go. And we get to work together. That's right. That's right. Thanks, Kim. Yeah. So, I mean, outside of that, um, just like some background, Kim and I have spent, oh, literally, I mean, a great portion of our adult lives fishing. But since we got together, we've, oh, man, we've been to, you know, the done and chase like chase gts and bonefish on christmas island in the south pacific we've been to alaska uh belize multiple trips to mexico certainly tons of time in trout rivers out west um i was thinking about it the other day i think i got about 80 floats down the bighorn uh river which is such a wonderful piece of water the missouri river is amazing um, and then, you know, in the Midwest, we cover states such as Michigan, Ohio, Wisconsin, Minnesota. Therefore, we get access and have friends and have fished Great Lakes carp fishing in, you know, northern Lake Michigan in the summertime where it's, you'd swear to God you were in the, you know, in the Bahamas. The water's so clear and you're throwing flies at 25-pound carp who just aren't always willing to eat the fly. Mm-hmm. Um and then also this, like, you know, spending time up in northern Wisconsin and fishing, fishing for, for musky. musky in the fall, which is, you know, again, literally a game of a thousand casts. It's no different than it is for people that throw straight, um, you know, conventional gear. And, um, you know, so 
we experience all the same problems as anglers that, you know, non-fly anglers would experience. And, you know, fortunately we work for brands that build things to help people solve those problems and, mm-hmm. you know, just sort of translate it into, you know, a career. So yep. yeah, um, we'll, we'll give you the best we got as far as uh, storytelling and, <laughs> and, you know, reasons for this and that we've got props handy if, if need be. So um, have at it whenever you guys are ready, we're, uh, we're ready to join the fun. Perfect. Well, the first question we're going to lead off with, which is probably, in my opinion, at least in the top three all-time favorite flies, is what is your favorite color woolly bugger? Favorite color woolly bugger? Who you know? <laughs> I'd have to I'd have to go uh, with like a black and black and wine colored, uh, like a maroon and black combination, like an um, egg sucking leech or something style. A smaller, a smaller pat, you know, smaller profile, um, but. Sp- yeah, it's completely a leech. Uh, don't go with a hot bead on the front. I personally don't care for that. But when you look at woolly buggers in general as a fly to use, you can catch everything with a woolly bugger. I mean, you can catch everything with a woolly bugger. That's why it's in the and, top three. Yeah, right? I mean, it's such a versatile thing. And you can dead drift it and, and sort of, you know, those marabou tails that are often tied in woolly buggers will sort of undulate in the water as you, you know, strip it along and, I mean, it looks like a leech to a fish, yep. and you know that's a pretty constant source of food for them. Black, black wine, or uh, you know, let's call it go- Minnesota Gopher Burgundy. <laughs> yeah, tie in some Minnesota love here tonight. What about you, Kim? What's your favorite color? The yellow and kind of copper color. Totally different from what Tony likes, but I've had great success with that out in Montana. Very nice. So who catches the most fish between you two? <laughs> Kim does. Um, we, we joke whenever we go fishing with people, like we might be running a, a boat shuttle, like we're going to float our boat and go down river. So we got to run a shuttle and Kim will be stuck at the boat. Darn it. And uh, we'll come back fishing. and she starts yeah. fishing right away. And we'll come back and be like, well, how many did you catch? Well, I'm up three on you already. And, you know, like we haven't even left for the, for the day. And, um, yeah, so she's a sniper for sure. That's awesome. Do you guys ever target some of the bigger game fish species for freshwater? I mean, uh, I'm not sure. I'm sure we're going to get some saltwater questions at some point. But so far right now, most everything is freshwater. But like your oh, muskies no, and your pikes and all would that. Ex- yeah, I'd fully expect that. Um, you know, we spent – we spent a week this past uh, October strictly fishing for muskie. Uh, we hit a number of different rivers up in northern Wisconsin and uh, literally camped out overnight. So, like, these were longer floats down rivers. Um, camped along the river as we went. It was great. Yeah, it was a wonder- wonderful experience. And, I mean, that's like throwing 10 weight rods and sinking lines um, or specialty, like there's literally specialty musky rods for fly fishing that are really specific tools. But I mean, you're hucking a fly that's, you know, eight to 10 inches long over and over all day. And yeah, yes, bigger than this. Yeah. Well, that's a pretty adequate musky fly there for sure. Um, you know, and, and the, fu- the funny thing about musky, at least in my opinion, having been sort of broken into the sport for, you know, fishing streamers, a streamer style fly like that, certainly Montana for like big brown trout Mm -hmm. and musky fishing, in my opinion, is bigger gear, bigger flies, bigger brown trout. I mean, they're, you know, they're different animals altogether, but the uh, action and the amount of dedication, I guess, you know, to just continue, you got to believe you just have to believe that this next cast is the one because they are, uh, they're a tough critter for sure. Oh, that's a lie. Musky fish 10,000 cat. Yeah. Well, it's better. I'll tell you <laughs> what. I'd rather throw a fly rod than a freaking huge Medusa or something, you know, on a bait caster. Yeah. So, um, a little bit more fun. But all right. So, what's the best snack that you guys take with you on these fishing trips? Oh, my gosh. Right now. So, right now, we're totally addicted to the little peanut butter cracker things. Oh, <laughs> the yeah. Peanut butter cheese crackers. They're so good. They, yeah. And they're easy. Yeah, um, like things that are you don't have to eat a lot of. You can just like eat them quick and keep 
doing because yeah. your hands are busy mm-hmm. you know you're always doing something and so like i can pretty easily just reach down grab a cracker like that's got delicious peanut butter in between and like <laughs> throw it in my mouth and like be ready to make another cast uh straws in like a beverage is always super helpful you know and like some of those fancy koozies that shield sells because like sometimes the fishing's so good you might not touch your Beverage. Your beverage. We'll just say your beverage. You know, you might not touch it for 40 minutes. And when it's, uh, you know, a hot summer day, I don't care where you are, like, it's going to get warm and nobody likes a warm beverage. Yeah, agreed. All right, let's start jumping into some more technical questions here. Sure. Uh, Where do you put the split shot on a nymphing setup? You know, that's a really good question. Um, Typically, if I'm running that kind of rig, assuming, like, Let's say we're running a 4X tapered leader, um, and I want my flies to end at roughly, say, 10 and a half feet. Simple math, that means on a nine-foot leader, I got to add about a foot and a half of another tippet material. So if I was running 4X and wanted to stay consistent within a 4X leader system, I'll tie a piece of, you know, 16 inches of additional 4X leader or tippet material onto the end of my leader and at that knot where i've joined the leader and the tippet together that's where i'll pinch my my split shot Hmm. it it doesn't necessarily i can always cut it and shorten it if necessary and i'll adjust my indicator more so up or down that system based on depth but my rule of thumb is a foot and a half from split shot to first fly i find that you know, you think about how that system sets up, especially if you're using weighted nymphs, you know, that split shot's getting it down and they keeps it down and allows those nymphs to kind of bounce along the bottom and tumble through the rocks like, well, like they should be. Yep. So rule of thumb, I would say 18 inches, you could go down to 16. If you're starting to get below 14 inches, I'd probably cut everything apart and, and start over and get that initial length back out there. Now, does this uh, just, change when you're doing a dropper fly, too, off that nymph? No. No, I'll run that same system. Um, and then for a dropper fly, probably shorten up that length to more like, uh, you know, maybe 14 inches. I like 14 inches. You can take it down to 10, depending on what it is. Um, I think that those those systems tend to just keep the bugs far enough apart, and they kind of pick up their own action in the water and... I mean, it's funny. It seems like more times than not, your your dropper fly ends up being. Typically, you're going to tie a heavier lead fly mm-hmm. and a lighter weight secondary fly, and it seems like those lighter weight secondary flies just, you know, you got that split shot, and then you got that heavier fly kind of keeps everything down, and that lighter fly tends to rise up a little bit more. It always seems to be the one that gets eaten the most. Mm. You know, it just it varies, but. Yeah, that that would be my system for a for a nymph setup. Very good. All right. So customers got a five weight and an eight weight rod. What line would be best for that? Targeting panfish and largemouth, or it could be smallmouth too. Sorry. Yeah, sure. Um, so for five weight, uh, predominantly, if you're talking, I'm guessing that the five weight rod would be used mostly for, for panfish, i.e. crappie, maybe some perch, certainly bluegill, things of that nature, sunnies. I'd probably run a straight five weight line. Um, so many modern fly lines in particular oversize the line weight a little bit more than what the rod is designed for per se like it'll say five weight on it it'll honestly you could probably put a 12 weight line on a five weight rod it would be a horrible experience to cast but the rod will handle the weight Mm -hmm. whereas i wouldn't go all the way i wouldn't go a full size up so it's you're running a five weight rod i wouldn't put a six weight line but certainly go into like shields for instance and one of the lines that we we really like from SA is the MPX taper. And that ends up being three quarters of a line weight heavier than what's printed on there. And that really deals with the mass within the front part of the line. The weight forward So that, that extra weight just allows the rod to bend, makes casting easier and more efficient. On the eight weight combo, 
And you guys sell this line as well. Um, I, I, I'd buy an eight weight scientific angler bath bug is the name of the line. And the, it tells you everything you need to know. It's, it's designed to turn over big bushy flies, whether it be poppers or bigger streamers or frogs, you know, stuff, the, you know, the type of things that those fish eat. And that's over, that's oversized by two line sizes. So again, that mass is in a short compact section within the first like 20 feet of the line. So you don't have to like retrieve the line so far back to the guides every time. You can lift it up and throw another cast. And as that, as that loop is unfurling, all that weight then is moving forward and allows greater distance on the cast, mm -hmm. turning over that fly. And I mean, just as a game changer. Uh, they're also built with specific coatings and cores that'll handle the hotter temperatures of summer. So the line itself doesn't um, become a tangled mess full of knots. And, you know, if you're wade fishing, for instance, and you're standing in the grass, I mean, it's fly line. If anybody spends enough time with fly line, if it can get in a mess, it's going to get in a mess. So if you can uh, find little tricks and little products out there to make the line a little bit easier. Yeah, the bass bug line is one of our favorites to use in the summer. Uh, we predominantly fish ourselves. Uh, we fish from a drift boat most of the time in the summer for bass, even on lakes for largemouth. Um, but I mean, imagine it. I mean, we've all done it. You know, it's, it's 87 degrees and the humidity is 85 or 90 percent. And, you know, it's a bright, sunny day. It's like great to be out, you know, but doesn't always react very well to fly lines. Mm -hmm. they, they get warm and when they get warm, they tend to get sticky. So, I mean, of all things, literally, this is a great technical question and a segue about gear. But, like, you can spend $200 on a fly rod. You can spend $1,000 on a fly rod. You can, you can spend $60 on a fly reel. You can spend $600 on a fly reel. The one thing that is such an important part is the fly line. It is the connection. It's the connection to your hand. It's a connection to the fish, the fly, the entire experience. And if there's any one place that you probably want to maybe invest a little bit more in that sometimes gets overlooked, it's it's fly lines. Um, they make all the difference in the world. And there are so many specialty fly lines and going even further, like tapers within a fly line. Fly lines are commonly referred to as a taper. And that's, it's how the line is shaped and designed. So if, you know, like in the situation of the bass bug, it's a long head of like 30 feet that's thick and dense, more weight towards the front of it, but it's also got to get through the air, you know, and it's got to make your casting easier. So all eight weight, I guess my point being is like if bass fishing with an eight weight rod is what you want to do, then it probably makes sense to search out a tool that's specific to what you want it to be. You could put a general eight weight floating line on it and that will work. But I think you, the, the experience I think would be a little bit challenged due to the fact that you're going to work a lot harder mm -hmm. to make those casts. And again, you're casting all day long. It's not like I'm just going to cast for four minutes and sit down, you know, you're, you're going to be working it all day. So yeah, I, you get Wouldn't the right, yeah, totally. Um, you can search out nowadays, like, all, you know, most all companies make it very simple. Mm -hmm. um, if you are going bass fishing, like with SA, the bass bug line is a great line. Um, they just make it very simple to choose or make the selection for the line that you want. Yep. And it, it makes your casting easier. Um, it's, it'll make, it makes the whole experience much more fun. Name, naming conventions certainly come into play, Ben. Um, interestingly, like there's a lot of great lines on the market that will do the job. Uh, we just happen to work for SA. So, uh, you know, sorry for the shameless plugging on scientific <laughs> angler product, but, um, you know, and then, and then I guess another consideration is, uh, what, you know, what kind of weather and what are, what are the water temperatures that you're fishing? Mm -hmm. um, we've just been talking about the bass bug. The bass bug's a great line at 75 degrees and above. Right. 
75 degrees and below, I wouldn't ever fish that line because again, the coatings and the core are designed for hotter temperatures. When those air temps and water temps are below that, now the line almost gets too stiff. So, um, I mean, really, I think the best advice I'd give anybody on searching out fly lines for a five weight, if, if you know, if it's for pan fish, a general weight forward, slightly heavier is going to be good. It'll just, it's easy to get it under trees. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you can get it into some spots that you wouldn't necessarily be able to with like a trout line, which is designed to throw a much lighter, more delicate presentation of a fly. Hopefully that answers uh, the question. Sorry. No, you answered about 15 questions right there. So I appreciate Woo! it. <laughs> you know, and the nice thing too is, and I think Kim, you even mentioned it, that, you know, on the packaging anymore. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not, it's not the eighties, right? I mean, technology right. is caught up. The naming conventions have caught up, you know, obviously if you're coming into shields, you're going to have a shields expert there to help out uh, in those situations. If you are just, you know, window shopping type deal, I mean, you can just kind of go through the lineup and kind of see where that really needs to line up. And exactly. it is good, too. I mean, you know, going with that eight weight with an eight weight rod. Would you guys, is, have you ever in the past, say you've gone with a seven weight on an eight weight, seven weight line with an eight weight rod? Have you guys yes. flexed a little bit, gone up or gone yes. down a little bit? So, I mean, that's yep. obviously is probably more technique specific on that. But if a customer was in a bind, just knowing how the, the industry is right now, it's, there's the sales are just everywhere. You know, availability yeah. is becoming difficult. It's just not, it's not the end of the world if you can't get the exact weight weight line. No, right? no. And, and typically, if given the preference, I'd rather go with a heavier line mm -hmm. than a lighter line. You know, again, in that eight weight scenario, worst case, you know, if there was no eight weight in stock and I had a choice between a seven or a nine, probably take the nine, generally speaking. Um, just again, just for ease of casting. And I think it just becomes frustrating. <sighs> I, we could go down the rabbit hole <laughs> so deeply. Fly lines are endlessly fascinating. And mm -hmm. like I knew about it and I certainly studied it. But once I started selling them and really studying them and like thinking about applications and literally we have a lot of darn fly lines in our life now. Mm -hmm. And like, we're going to go out and fish on a particular day. And I feel like a mad scientist some days I'm like, let me try this line and I'm going to fish it on this rod and this rod's a really fast rod and this is a really heavy line, but it, it's too heavy for this. So I want to size down. And, you know, we were just talking about the bass bug, two mm -hmm. line sizes heavy, even though you should buy it as an eight weight. If you had only a seven weight available, you're still heavier than what the, you know, in reality, yep. if you were to throw it on a scale and weigh the line, it would say this is heavier than an eight weight. Mm -hmm. So again, the rabbit hole is deep. It's complex. Uh, fly lines are, they're such a game changer though. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. We had the conversation before we started this evening with one of the guys, one of the video guys. And I mean, it's just incredible how much that line is going to make a difference, you know, and, and some of the questions coming through here, I mean, and you know, we kind of touched on it a little bit, you know, with uh, Tony, you're with the rods, you know, focusing on the line, not necessarily as much as the rod and the reel, you know, and there's certain situations on a bluegill set up a four weight, three weight, two weight, five weight. I mean, you don't need a huge drag, right? I mean, no. you can get no. away with a lower, a lower price point reel. You know, you yeah. don't have to have something with a fantastic drag system on it. It doesn't have to be a wide arbor spool, right? I mean, you can, you can almost cheat, right? Yes. Even with some of the, the, you know, even with the bass stuff, right? I mean, unless you're getting into some, some hogs down South, the the 18 inch state record in North Dakota, right? I mean, you're gonna be okay with a, a five or six weight. Oh, yeah, yeah. For I mean, an 18 inch smallmouth bass on a five weight. I was, I was talking largemouth. I, yeah. I'd personally be a little bit scared about that. Really? I would feel like like bringing a knife to a gunfight. <laughs> yep. Well, maybe we just struggled a little bit in Nebraska where we started. Doing that. <laughs> maybe that's why. And uh, you know, it's funny because you even mentioned cart before. The question was posed to you guys, but we do have yeah. questions on carp when we were talking about it before. Uh, one of the guys that's behind the scenes answering some of the questions and posting the questions, Mike, he asked me and talking about carp, and I just, that's the last fish I've actually fly fished for was carp. I love fly fishing for carp. Man, yeah. it, isn't that, it, it's a worthy competitor in the world a, yeah. of uh, flies. It's a, they fight good on conventional. 
and it's ten times better even on fly rod. That's where yeah. you want to, yeah. you want a good drag system on that. Yeah, Maybe they good. carp fight great. I love them. Yep. And and truly, they they are not, you know, they're not easy to catch on a fly. You know, they're they're bottom feeders. They like crusty. You know, let's be honest. I mean, they're not eating like pristine trout bugs. Mm-hmm. You know, they're eating a lot of nasty things and some of the water they live in. And so you're trying to make this artificial thing that might look really pretty to you and I. Um, and you're trying to make a fish that doesn't eat that, you know, want to eat it. And again, it works. Wooly buggers, man. <laughs> wooly buggers, black wooly buggers. You Top can't three. go wrong. That's right. Yeah, in Nebraska, we cheat because we got cottonwood trees down there. And so the carp are oh, always sure. up on top, yeah. sucking up on the car- the cottonwood. And yeah. so, yeah, I mean, it's it's cheating. But, all right, back to uh, maybe more prestige fish. So, for yeah. trout, what's your guys' top drop dry fly for the audience? Got some dry flies here. Got yep. a huge streamer. Obviously, it's a um, maybe brown trout size. But what are you guys' top <laughs> nymph, dry, and then uh, streamer? Gosh. I'm going to let you go first. For a streamer, Tony and I both mainly fish leeches, just little leeches, Um, black typically. Um, My favorite dry fly is, I always call it the purple haze. Is that what it is? Purple haze. Purple haze. I I just love that fly. Um, I grew up fishing the purple haze, and I fish it everywhere in Montana. So even yeah, everywhere in Montana. It's a mayfly impression. Yeah. Um. What? Yeah. What about a dropper? Oh God. Yeah. Pink squirrels we've used typically. No, they're. Are you? Yeah. Are you aware? No, no. Pink squirrels get down small enough. I don't. Yeah, I don't do a lot of that. (laughs) Yeah. The. Totally. Just streamer fish, man. (laughs) Yeah. So. Uh, like I personally, I mean, I was going to say the, the purple haze, I really like that fly a lot. It's a great, um, parachute Adams would be a very comparable. If you're familiar with the parachute Mm -hmm. Adams, it'll have a white post for the wing body tends to be tied in a purple. It's definitely got the three prongs of a mayfly adult. Um, it's just a really good pattern from a profile view of what, what, what trout see and how they see. Uh, fly if it's super technical fishing you know it's really hard to beat a midge if you're familiar i mean that's a really small trout eat them all the time uh, that's a really effective dry fly caddis you know and even within the caddis family there's variations of you know what works there what's your favorite <laughs> I don't, I don't tony you know like, too much you know okay, too much. all right so if i could fish anything for dry fly i'd fish a uh Cut from foam grasshopper yeah. pattern, and for a dropper, I would probably eat, bring a midge pupa, a small like size twenty, like just a basic black silver thread wrap midge, because they eat them all the time, and the grasshopper gets their attention, and they'll probably grab the dropper yep. from a streamer. Yeah, yeah, we I mean we love leeches. Um, not to get it too far into it, I really like uh, like swim flies, articulated streamers now. And I'd like to give you an example, sort of, this is a fly that we brought down to the salt, but we use them a lot, um, like in our part of the world in Wisconsin for bass. But this thing is called a game changer. And you can see how the fly moves. And so these are tied with multiple sections where they tie material and they link it all together. So as the fly moves through the water, it twists and turns, mm. and it very much articulates like a live bait fish. And for the most part, outside of, you know, leeches, you're imitating a bait fish of some. Sorry, or dog. Yeah, you guys got a bird <laughs> dog running around. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, you're trying to imitate, you know, some sort of bait fish pattern. So modern streamers really do a lot the materials the way they're tied um yeah you can you can imitate anything and i, I don't know i mean someday somebody's gonna like there are musky baits out there for the you know regular gear guys that have started to incorporate a lot of the fly tying techniques and materials because of the way these things undulate and move mm-hmm. through the water 
And they're inline. I think spinners. the whole, yeah. I mean, the whole thing with a streamer is you're mimicking their food source, mm -hmm. you know, as much as any other uh, dry fly or nymph. Yep. Sorry. God. <laughs> Just keep talking. <laughs> well, we know you guys are passionate about it. Yeah. All right. Love it. So, uh, we are having some some not questions coming coming through, and you know because of the lighting, because of the time, because of the technical aspect of it. What do you guys suggest for a new beginner? You know, even maybe somebody like myself who hasn't fly fished for quite a few years. You know, and you know how do I do the nail knot again? You know, how do I? Oh yeah. Like so, so what do you guys recommend on that? Sure. So like a nail knot um, is is that's really connecting you know a leader to a fly line. Um, that's that connection or a handshake. Fortunately, modern fly lines, modern leaders have created loops now that are welded in or tied in so you can get a loop-to-loop -loop connection, which is super easy. When you're talking about connecting a leader to a tippet material, if we're predominantly talking trout, uh, use what's called a surgeon's knot. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you can do double surgeon's knot, a triple surgeon's knot. If you're really into the streamer game, you might be tying a blood knot, which is another connection knot. And then for, you know, there's really two, two knots that I use for the, for everything just about, um, which is either called a circle knot or a clinch knot or an improved clinch knot, depending, yep. you know, what kind of material you might be using and what you think you're going to need. Clinch knot, straight trout, that's a direct knot right into the hook. A circle knot is you literally put an overhand circle into your leader or your tippet, you're gonna run it through the eye of the fly and you bring that tag in back through the circle, wrap it around the standing line and then come back through again. Yep. Point being is it creates a nice little profile of a circle from the eye of the hook to where the knot actually tightens. And so again, streamer fishing- Has movement. All about movement. Yep. Yeah, you, you don't wanna have that tight. That's and you, anyone knot. wondering out there, how to tie knots because there are so many different style of, styles of knots um just youtube knots you know fly fishing knots and they'll give you step-by-step -step procedure on how to learn how to tie any of those and they're super helpful yep yeah and you can pause it rewind it yeah rewatch it again and, and practice it as you're watching it yep. yeah i mean i've literally spent countless hours uh you know sitting on a couch when i first got into the game and learning how to tie clinch knots and surgeon's knots and blood knots and perfection loops for leader material and you know just you teach yourself how to do these things and once your hands learn it it's pretty it's 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 easier to do it than to sit and try to tell somebody how to do it oh, so yeah. my hat's off to people that can teach knot tying <laughs> yo all right, so what's the best waiter for for our oh, area? You know, it. it's a double yeah, answer. I know it's twenty or twenty answers, not one question. But what's the uh, what's the six weight version of a a waiter? Like the most versatile waiter? Yeah, for fly fishing purposes, for wading in creeks and rivers. Small small bodies of water. Yeah, you know, so much depends. So whenever I have a conversation, I've been selling waiters a long time. So is Kim, but I, I feel like I've had this conversation with so many people. Um, it, to me, it depends on what's the best waiter. Well, how many days are you going to wear them? And if you're passionate about the sport and you're going to, and you say, man, I'm going to wear a waiter 30 to 50 days a year. In my mind, you need to spend some money on a good pair of waiters. And the reason being is, we don't walk on golf courses with waders all that often, right? You know, typically we're walking along creeks and there's, you know, think about the creeks of the Midwest. I mean, there's briars and thickets and thorny things everywhere. And, you know, waders are going to leak sooner or later, all of them. But the investment on the front end in buying a better waiter with multiple layers of material straight up. 50 day a year, 30 day a year fisherman, the Sims G3 is the Cadillac. You can do so much with that wader. If I'm only going to fish 10 days a year, I'd, I'd look at a Sims Freestone wader. I'd look at a Sims Tributary wader. Um, 
you know, those waiters are really designed for that level of consumer. I mean, to be just that frank, um, when you start getting into those extended days and hours and, you know, this is your passion, it's what you care about doing, you know, the investment on the front end is much more worth it down the line because you're, you're going to stay dry longer. You're going to be more comfortable and you know, you're going to experience less leakage issues. Um, those, that'd be my advice on waiter purchases. How many days a year are you going to fish? What are you fishing for? Mm-hmm. You know, um, if, if creep around trout streams is what you're going to predominantly do, you might get away with a little bit lighter weight pair of waders. On the flip side, if steelhead fishing, um, you know, on the North Shore of Minnesota, for instance, is your game. And you might want to invest in a little better pair of waders because it's cold mm-hmm. and you're still in the woods and you're still hiking into some remote areas and nothing will shut you down worse than like being sopping wet and cold inside of a waiter. Yep. It happens. Yeah, oh, yeah. for sure. All right. So How was you, that? Was that a good answer, Ben? Did you know, I... <laughs> it wasn't bad. I, I think okay. I think it was good. We'll see how the audience <laughs> receives it, but no, it was great. Thank you, Tony. All right, so what do you guys like most about fly fishing? Each one of you. Gosh, probably where you can actually go to fly fish um, and then all the different species. Um, I grew up in Montana, so like I was into trout and... You know, we decided to move to the Midwest, and I, like, I went trout fishing out there, and the trout are much smaller in Wisconsin than they are in Montana. The majority of them, not all of them. And, um, you know, when we were able to go to one river, the Wisconsin, and catch smallies and largemouth and muskie and pike, and it's all in a day's float, like, that blew my mind. Mm-hmm. Um and just being able to, you know, travel outside of the U.S. to fly fish for all these exotic species um, is pretty incredible. Yeah. Um, I, I Personally, for me, nowadays, it's just time spent um, kind of disconnecting from everyday life and being out on the water. And a lot of the other things that are going on in your life tend to dissolve when you're focused on the problem of trying to catch a fish on a fly it's not there are easier ways to catch fish the guys that were on last night the guys that are on tomorrow night with you like these guys are pros and that's what they do you know we're we're serious enthusiasts you know i mean we don't our paycheck doesn't determine whether or not we're catching fish so it's a little different it's a little different maybe for us at this stage um but just you know like i don't think about work and i don't think about my darn dog crawling around on the couch when I'm on a, a meeting with you. And, you know, I'm just worried about like, okay, did I tie the knot right? And, you know, did my cast work? And, you know, these are just yep. little problems that you're breaking down. Meanwhile, you tend to be in some pretty nice places. Beautiful. You know, places. fortunately, I don't know, like there's cool spots. There's cool <laughs> urban fishery though, too. You know, yeah. like you can go catch fish in a city and, you know, be around some, you know, questionable, you know, places maybe. And catch fish. And catch fish on a fly rod. And that's great fun. I used to live in Minneapolis for a number of years and had fished the local lakes there for panfish with a fly rod. And, you know, there'd be cars and trucks going by. And meanwhile, like, yeah, you hear them, but I'm more worried about, oh, look at that giant carp. Let's figure out how to catch that, you know? <laughs> so what's your each one of you as well, what's the toughest fish species you guys have targeted? Like what's your tarpon? Oh, permit. Yeah. Um, they're extremely difficult. I think (laughs) I say that because my husband's caught a huge one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I, I'd echo that sentiment of all the fish I've chased the fly rod. Uh, I'd say permit are probably the hardest, uh, Generally speaking, I think it's not like the holy grail of saltwater fly fishing. There's certainly other species that are harder, but uh, consistently they're really tough to catch. And uh, and then there's tarpon, and tarpon are crazy hard to catch too. And there's something about seeing like 100-pound, like we were talking about earlier, you know, seeing a 100-pound fish chasing your fly and 
Like, how do you remain calm? You know, that is uh, taking years of trial and error and lots of failure to get to a point where I can actually keep my head about me and not like, I don't know. <laughs> it doesn't always happen. It doesn't always happen. Well, that's story. So Kim and I were in Mexico and we're, we were chasing permit along this really cool beach. Like we're, we're getting pulled, the guy's pulling us and like three of them are coming at me. And I happen to have the rod that, that morning made the cast and watch the permit. It's like a 25 pound permit, come over and eat the fly. And it's like, yeah, you know, it came tight and I still have my finger underneath the, you know, on the cork holding the line down, you know, give it the strip set it's in. And then the fish takes off. <laughs> well, the cast itself was maybe 40 feet. It wasn't a really long cast. And I probably had 65 feet of line laying on my, you know, when I made that cast. So now all of a sudden I got 30 feet of line shooting through the guides. And it's like, like you just hooked it up to a car going 60 miles an hour. Right. <laughs> yep. And all this lines whipping around. And at the very end, the very last piece of line hooks the butt of the rod. So here's a 25 pound permit, all this movement and activity. And you're like, woohoo! <laughs> and all of a sudden this fly line comes around and it's stuck in the rods jacking around. I turn to Kim and I'm like, Kim, help! <laughs> and I don't know what to do. Like my mind is totally frozen and bang, the fish is gone. And the guide's just shaking his head, you know, like rookie mistake. And I've caught lots of fish and cleared the line, but like first time with a permit, you know, and I, just set the rod on the deck and I laid down in the boat and <laughs> had to count for like 20 seconds before I could get up and talk to anybody. It was, it was funny. It's it devastating. Tough. Obviously there's yeah. still some, uh, some wounds there. <laughs> there is. Clearly I <laughs> seeked counseling, but it doesn't seem to help. What about for a freshwater perspective? Musky? Man. All right. So I'm going to say, yeah, I'm going yeah. to answer this one first. For me, it is uh, a 20-inch smallmouth bass. That is, the, oh. that is my goal each and every time. Every summer, I've caught 219 and a halfs. I've never caught one over 20. Meanwhile, my wife here has a broken leg, mind you, <laughs> and I get her onto the boat, and we're seated. We had a John boat, so we had a post seat. So she was able to sit and I would row her down the river and she's whipping around a popper with a broken leg, catches a 21 inch smallmouth like five minutes into the day. Oh, man. And <laughs> it ruined Tony. with a broken leg. You can't even stand up to like fight the fish. Well, maybe if you break your leg and she rows you down the river. <laughs> yeah. I see where you're going with that, Ben. That, that makes some sense to me. They do have gators down there in Florida. Yeah, I think the hardest one, though, the hardest is for, in my opinion, outside of carp. Yeah, carp are, carp are hard. Carp are pretty hard, but um, yeah, the muskie's tough. Yeah. Like a lot of things got to go right. They'll they'll eat. Mm -hmm. You know, they'll chase a fly and they'll eat a fly, but keeping them pegged, you know, a good hook set, and then like keep the fish under control and actually get it to hand is. Yep. It's a great and worthy accomplishment for sure. Um, and even as a rough fish, you know, I mean, it's growing up, you know, you just carp is a carp, a gar is a gar, but I don't know. It's just different when oh. you got a fly rod in your hand. Oh, yeah, that's my, gar. like, I want to catch a gar so bad and we've caught, oh man, what's the biggest we've caught? Maybe uh, 35 inches. Yeah. Maybe. But we've seen like huge, like huge gar in the Wisconsin and I cannot connect with one and every summer like okay this is going to be the year that i get this big trophy gar like literally to the point where we've used specialty flies that don't have hooks in them they're just long yeah. sinewy ropey material specifically for gar fishing because uh their mouths are pure armor teeth yeah. right and like getting them like i've i've destroyed more flies and losing a gar before I can even get it to hand because their teeth will just destroy it. Yep. Um, but so you try to use these flies that are almost specifically, it's for freaks like us, I guess I'd like to catch these things, but these ropey looking things. And in theory, they get, you know, that they get tangled up in their teeth and you can stand it. Um, yeah. Kim mentions Wisconsin. It's full of gar and like, you'll, you'll hook 
you'll get 20 of them to eat in an afternoon and you won't land a single one, yeah. not a single one. Yeah. We had one last summer that followed Kim's fly and I looked down in the water, Ben, and the damn thing was five feet long, you At know, least a five, five foot long gar. And like, you can see the spots all on it and it's just below the surface and it's following the fly in and, I literally looked, and Kim's stripping the fly all the way back. Now the leader's coming through the guides, right, through the tippy top. And I'm like, please, God, don't eat that fly. <laughs> please don't, because it's going to, that rod's going to snap in half in a minute, and Kim's going to be super mad, and then I'm going to be mad because we broke a rod. Hopefully this summer you guys will nail one. Oh, man. All right, so, so now in what situations does a fly rod or a fly fishing setup outperform conventional fishing in your guys' opinion? Oh, I'm honestly, I'm just going to go out there and say <laughs> trout, trout fishing to me in its purest sense. And maybe it's just because of, you know, I am a fly, fly angler, but you know, there's really very little in the tackle box that you can do, you know, cause you're always got to be, if, unless you're using like, like a worm and a bobber and, and just sort of letting it dead drift along a Creek. It's very hard to mimic the food sources. And certainly if the trout are keyed in to eating on top and they're sipping bugs on top, man, there's very little in the, in the conventional world that I've ever seen that mimics that, mm -hmm. you know, when they are focused on eating bugs on the surface there's, there's nothing in a, in a conventional angler's fly box or a tackle box that can mimic that. Where, and that's certainly the number one advantage, I think, why maybe the whole sport started in the first place, you know? I mean, originated over in really, you know, England, and they've got famous clear rivers over there with really picky trout, and they figured out, like, to catch them, they needed to do this and mm -hmm. make the flies ride on the surface. Um, that, would be the, that would be one. And I think on the conventional, to have the conventional advantage, um, like catching sheep's head or, you know, sometimes catfish. We, we can catch catfish on the fly rod on occasion, luckily. Mm -hmm. um, Accidental, usually, right? Yeah, not usually. And um, I think that's where, because we can't really mimic any of their food source. We just haven't been able to, or we haven't found the right fly yet to do that. And it's, um, I think the key is that you guys are talking about using flies too. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, fly fishing that I've seen in my life that is a split shot with a night crawler on a hook, you know, yeah. or oh. a split shot with a piece of bait on a power bait, you know? So, yeah. I mean, you guys are still, you know, keeping pure to the sport with the imitation fly. So, yeah. Ben, it's almost gotten to the point though, where I want to give myself some gulp. And like <laughs> drop a streamer in there and just bounce it around for a while and make it all stinky and then go try that. I think that'll work. Hey, I'm not above putting send attractors on stuff. Heck no, man. <laughs> like all fishing's fun. Like I'll it's more fun when you're catching. Yeah, That's we're, right. we're not playing for money here. That's right. So okay, I mean, we're in the bread and butter of, of walleye territory. Obviously, you guys are not currently, but being in Wisconsin, Minnesota, North Dakota, South Dakota. What is yeah. your go-to walleye fly? Man, streamer. Yeah, a streamer yeah. of some kind, an imitation of a bait fish pattern. And uh, I, I've caught them. I've, we've, we both caught, like, Kim's really good at catching <laughs> walleye, honestly. Um, but you got to find, it's the same structure that you would find in conventional, you know, applications. The difference being is you, it's awfully hard in the fly fishing game if you're fishing below, say, 20 feet deep. And so if you're in deep water like that, it, it's, I would say, don't bring a fly rod. Bring mm -hmm. your normal conventional rod. You know, that is a better tool for the job. Now, if you're conversely fishing in water that's five feet deep and you know there's walleyes in there, you can have a hell of a good time with a fly rod because now you're in their zone you know, with a sinking tip line and a weighted fly, you can get that thing down into that three or four foot section of water and have it stay there long yep. enough to get them. And they'll chase the fly and take and they'll, it. And they'll totally yeah. chase flies. Yeah, they're, they're, they're fun. 
Yeah. All right. So fly fishing essentials. And this one is, I think, kind of a two part. Maybe each one of you guys can take a different part. But say someone's going on a backpacking trip. What are the, you know, the five to ten things that they have to have? And then the other side of it, you know, a lot of destination trips. Maybe they're flying. Maybe they're driving. And space is limited. You know, maybe they have a four piece rod set up or they can have a travel tube and everything. But what what's it? It's the same situation. I mean, do you want a four-piece rod for, for each one? But one's travel, and the other one's backpack. Travel and backpack. Well, tr- well, travel or travel if you're leaving your home, um, flying to a different state or flying outside of the country, you should always bring more than one rod. That's key. Um, because if you, if you only bring one, one rod, you're probably going to break the one that you have with you. So you got to have a backup. Um, gosh, depending on where you go, again, make sure you bring, like if you're going to Alaska, make sure you bring clothing for like every season. And I know that I get very cold. So I'll bring like four pairs of gloves. Um you know, layering, you just got to make sure and do your research before you go. Um, so you know what the temperature range could be and make sure you pack accordingly. Yep. Um, that, that's huge. And one thing um, I want to add for even both of you guys too, and just from a personal experience, buying all my flies before I left versus having a handful of flies that, you know, a terrestrial or woolly burger or whatever, <laughs> like something I know no matter where I'm at, I'm going to catch fish, but buying my flies local, when I get there to know what the bite is going to be. Yeah. You guys, I mean, is that something? That's, Definitely. That's, that's great. I mean, that's a really good piece of advice, Ben. I mean, nobody knows their local water, like the local people. And especially if you're talking uh, about trout fishing, for instance, you know, what's hatching, mm-hmm. uh, you know, what is the local uh, flavor of the day? If I were going on a backpacking trip or again, really limited, it sounds to me like your question sort of like, limited on space options and how much can you bring, you know, I'd probably try to construct a fly box with a mix of, um, you know, woolly buggers for certain, you know, and in some common nymph patterns and some common dry fly patterns from terrestrials all the way through a mayfly and a caddis. But you could get all that in one, you know, a box, you know, smaller than that. Right. You pack all those flies in there. I'd make sure to carry, Honestly, you know, you want to have a couple of liters and your core tippet sizes. Um, you know, again, probably anything, assuming everyone's familiar with the, the X rating, you know, I'd probably look at anywhere from, you know, a two to a six X in my kit um, of tippet. And then, um, you know, just, you know, your basic fly tools, you know, your rod itself, of course, your rod, your line. You're real, but then, you know, your nippers and hemostats and, you know, good, uh, gosh, good pair of sunglasses, you know, like that's one of the most uh, non thought of thing that I think a lot of people forget is how important protecting your eyes because you are hurling a piece of uh, feathers that has a hook in it um, around your face pretty consistently. And, you know, I've, I've sunk flies into the back of my head, uh, literally had to go to an emergency room because it was buried in past the barb and we couldn't get it out. But, you know, these are things that I think you got to be conscientious of. So making protecting your eyes is one of the biggest ones. Mm-hmm. And then certainly like, where are you going? What are you doing? What, you know, what's the weather going to be like layering as Kim said, but you know, protect yourself from the elements. Is it, is it insects that you're worried about? Is it the sun? Is it the cold? Is it going to rain that day? You know, so making sure you got the right kit. Um, it's a funny thing. Like we talk about waiters, right? Like I've talked to people and they've oftentimes asked a question, like if I buy this waiter, am I going to be, will I catch more fish? And I would say, well, fundamentally it doesn't make you a better angler, but you will get to fish more because you're not going to be cold and wet and miserable. And those are largely a lot of the things mentally that cause anglers, whether you're a competition angler, just, a, you know, just do it for enjoyment. But if you're cold and wet and miserable, you're too hot, you know, you're going to throw in the towel and shut her down. So you don't have to have a lot of it. You just have to have the right thing. Yeah. Yep. 
All right, so we are getting tight on time, and there's still pages of questions oh, for you guys. So, man, sorry. We, it's just because we talked about fly lines. <laughs> we got a little too deep, too early on that one. Yeah, right? Yep. Uh, but, I mean, if you guys are open to it, would you guys help? I mean, in the next couple of days here, help answer some of these questions that we have from Absolutely. the audience. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we might ping uh, Brandon Stone on this one, too, to help out, just since he still fly fishes. But how about one more question here? Let me something that I might target Kim just because Tony might take it down a rabbit hole. <laughs> <laughs> Tony's the talker out of us. No way. <laughs> well, he's got a lot to say. I mean, it's all pertinent information. You know, it's yeah. unfortunately we're limited to an hour. Um, <laughs> all right. So here we go. Well, I guess we kind of got it. So what is your, we already got the personal best on the, on the smallie. I mean, Kim obviously destroyed you on that one, but let's go on the other side and say, what's the personal best largemouth? We see that market grow huge up here. Yeah. So I haven't caught very big largemouth. Tony, I think that one, when we I went four, I got a four, four pound. pound. Yeah. It's a good fish. It's my, my personal best on a fly. And of all things, it was wild musky fishing in a lake in October, and uh, yeah. the big bass ate a musky fly. So it was, uh, you know, it wasn't what I was looking for, but it was very exciting and thrilling at the same time. Yeah, that fall feed is nice, though. Yeah, yeah, like they put on the feed bag. Um, yeah, I mean, bass in particular, they just like to yeah. eat. They just, yeah. they just eat. Yep. It all depends, Great I mean, fit. for us, but for tournament fishing. You know, obviously they got they got locked jaws sometimes, but right, yeah. right. When it matters, when yeah, the paycheck on the line. Yep. All right, so um, yeah, we got time for one more. Sorry, I don't want to stop talking about this. All right, what if you guys can only fish one fish for the rest of your life? Smallmouth. Mouse passed. Yeah. Yeah. Easy. Both of you. Yeah. Really. Yeah. Yeah, they're super aggressive. They love taking flies, and I love um, popper fishing for them. So it's a surface eat. You mm -hmm. can see it, and they're explosive. Nope. Um, love it. And it's funny because the two guys we had last night, their top fish was smallmouth, too. Yeah. So we're four for four on smallies. Yeah, yeah the, there's something about them. I mean, they willingly eat flies, number one. Number two, they fight like a demon and like, you know, they call him the fighter, you know, and there's a reason for it. They just fight so hard and they're really honestly, like after you catch enough of them, you begin to like appreciate their, what they look like even. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a reason that fish has a red eye. It's not cause it's like a nice guy, <laughs> you know, it tells you everything you need to know. If fish has a red eye. That's worth catching. Don't mess with it. Yeah, right. All right. So with uh, the prize drawing, we got two winners going on tonight. We got a $500 gift card as well as a $1,000 gift card. Woo! Yes. Yeah. The $500 gift card tonight is Larry B. from Kalispell, Montana. Woo! So congratulations. Congrats. And then the, uh, the $1,000 gift card is Greg B. from Chippewa Falls, Wisconsin. Did I say yeah, that correct? Greg! Yep. So it's off. funny because we got you guys both home states there. That's pretty cool. Yeah, actually. no, that's awesome. Yep. So, well, well, hopefully um, these guys go in and uh, find some great fly gear at Shields. Both of those, both the Eau Claire store and the Great Falls store, which would be your local sh sh shops, mm -hmm. have pretty nice uh, fly fishing selections and have all the things that you'd need. Yep. Shields does a great job. Yeah. Great yep. partner. Yep. Congratulations. Way to go, guys. Yeah, I'm thanks for again. asking questions. Yes. All right. So thanks, everyone, for tuning in tonight. Tomorrow night, uh, we're talking walleye. We got uh, Jason Mitchell and uh, Johnny Candle. It's going to be a big night for that, especially with our being our, our bread and butter up here for the walleye side. But Tony and Kim, I can't thank you guys enough for taking time. I'm sure you guys are probably just, you can smell the ocean still. You know, with the windows open, you guys are just biting or fighting to get outside there. And uh, appreciate your dog. Was that a puggle, by the way? Yes. Yes. I would, yeah. Yep. Yeah, man. Uh, <laughs> you know the puggle, huh? Yep. Yep. They're pretty good. Uh, pretty good waterfowl dogs. 
Uh, <laughs> so make sure you guys are jumping on to Shields Outdoors, uh, following us on social media, on Instagram, as well as Facebook. We have our YouTube channel as well. This is where this is going to be living in. And uh, we got all those questions. Audience, we will get to you guys at some point here in the next couple of days. And appreciate everybody tuning in, and we'll catch you guys tomorrow night. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in. You just heard our night two coverage of the Shields Virtual Fish Series featuring Tony and Kim Ferry on fly fishing. If you like what you heard and are interested in more content, we also did a podcast with Chris Pyra of our Colorado Spring Store on Fly Fishing 101. And we've also got lots of content on our Facebook and Instagram Shields Outdoor pages. So make sure to check that out. And with that, we want to thank you for listening. See you next time. Thank you for listening to the Shields Outdoors podcast. Stay tuned for future segments and visit our social media pages, Shields Outdoors on Facebook and Instagram for daily updates.